Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you alongside reporters to talk Arizona politics. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, a national political reporter at the Arizona Republic and EasyCentral.com. I'm Ron Hansen. I cover the congressional delegation. Later, we'll be joined by Stephanie Innes, who covers healthcare. Today, we're talking healthcare. Democrats in Arizona campaign on healthcare like it's nobody's business. They do. So, Ron, can you give us a sense of where this issue kind of started and why healthcare is such a hot topic today? Thank you, everybody. Please have a seat. All right, so Obamacare has been a monumental failure, but that is not stopping the president and Democrats from trying to save it. The great civil rights issue of our time, and that is the need for every man, woman, and child to have health care as a right and not a privilege. I believe it's totally uh, unconstitutional, and it is absolutely unaffordable. It's unaffordable for Arizona, for sure. So this is a fight that's been going on literally for more than a century, but it really kind of picked up uh, in about 2009 when Democrats pursued the Affordable Care Act, which actually became law in 2010. The uh, legislation known as the ACA um, really was a pretty substantial overhaul to the way health insurance is uh, obtained and and administered uh, across the country. Today. After all the votes have been tallied, health insurance reform becomes law in the United States of America. This also led to a pretty divisive battle among states as to whether or not to jump in to uh, the Medicaid expansion that was one of the key components of that law. I remember that late night fight that uh, we had down at the state legislature over whether or not to expand um, Medicaid. Um, Governor Jan Brewer obviously parted party parted ways with uh, her party and decided to, to go ahead and go for that. In a few minutes, I will sign into law legislation that extends cost-effective health care to hundreds of thousands of Arizona's working poor, our friends and our neighbors in need. Are there any other points in the past that made health care such a big issue? Well, I think, again, this is uh, something that has a demographic component to it, that we see the aging of Americans generally. Um, healthcare is becoming more of a concern for people who are getting older. We also went through a, an episode of very high unemployment at the time that uh, sort of pulled back the curtain for a lot of people in terms of how they were covered or not covered for uh, health crises. And the ACA's implementation has also been uh, sort of a, a cudgel for Democrats to hit Republicans with. In Arizona, for example, we've seen the number of uninsured fall from 1.2 million to about 725,000. So Democrats are arguing that this law works. The idea that health care is still such an, an important issue for voters is something that was kind of echoed in recent polling that we did with Suffolk University. Um, immigration was the number one issue, followed by the economy, followed by health care. But everywhere you go on the Democratic side, that's like the number one issue that, that they certainly are talking about. Here to talk to us today is Stephanie Innes. Stephanie, you cover health care here at the Republic. Help us take a closer look at this issue. Uh, yes, definitely. I can do that. Hello. Stephanie, 
give us a sense of why healthcare is such a major issue, even still. I mean, why is it dominating the TV ads? Why is it dominating the conversations in uh, field offices across the political field offices across the state? Well, healthcare, of course, absolutely deserves a spot in our public conversation. And if you just look at Arizona and how it's affecting um, people and, and things here, you could look at the economy. You can look at the fact that more people have uh, health literacy about their own insurance. And also the fact that now that the elections are upon us, there are more people worried about losing their insurance. Uh, people remember uh, what it was like before the Affordable Care Act when some people couldn't get um, some things covered or when people had very large medical bills. So you mentioned the economy. How does that factor into health care? Well, you mentioned before the, the number of people who are no longer uninsured. So the fact that that has been reduced has an effect on hospitals' bottom lines. Um, on uncompensated care in hospitals, which comprises bad debt and charity care, prior to the ACA, that was about 8% of hospital expenditures, and it's now hovering around 3%. As one example, hospital operating margins are up. And, you know, you only need to look around in the Phoenix area at some of the healthcare construction projects going on to see evidence of those improved bottom lines. So why do everyday Arizonans want to learn more and become more literate about this issue than they have in the past? What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, before the Affordable Care Act, there were people who didn't have insurance and therefore they didn't understand the health system, which... As you know, in the U.S., it's healthcare here is very complicated. Um, and once they got insurance, they began understanding what a deductible is, what they have to pay every year for healthcare, what a premium is, and with that literacy becomes you know more knowledge of what they stand to lose if those consumer protections that the Affordable Care Act offers go away. Um, some of those consumer protections include people under the age of 26 remaining on their parents' insurance. And this year, young adults will be able to stay on their parents' policies until they are 26 years old. That happens this year. That's something that certainly a lot of young people can remember not having that and then having it. Um, there's benefits of preventive care being free under the essential benefits under the Affordable Care Act. This year. This year, all new insurance plans will be required to offer free preventive care. Pregnancy, for example, was prior to the ACA not covered by most individual and small group plans. And women sometimes didn't even realize their pregnancy wasn't covered until they were pregnant. Now it's an essential health benefit covered by all ACA compliant plans, qualified health plans. Um, the final thing that I'll, I'll say as an example is no lifetime and annual limits on insurance coverage. So prior to the ACA passing and taking effect, for example, I wrote about a young college student with colon cancer who had no idea his plan was capped at a lifetime coverage of $300,000. So he reached that through all the treatment he had to go through and had to do his own fundraising to pay $50,000 in additional medical bills. 
So prior to the ACA, people would max out their coverage. Um, last year, what happened in Congress with attempts to undo the Affordable Care Act, there was even more awareness of what health insurance does for people because people began to, began to get afraid of losing things like no lifetime caps. Um, and the concern isn't just coming from people who understand insurance and how it impacts their own lives. It's also coming from the candidates themselves. I've just noticed ads, um, you know, just in watching television, some of the candidates are, are talking about health care and ads. Totally. So if you're not seeing those ads on TV of uh, Kirsten Cinema wearing that 15-year-old pink tutu, the ads on TV are centered around um, really health care broadly as an issue. Democrats are casting themselves as um, candidates who will protect people from um, losing their health care coverage. And they're really trying to give an impression to voters uh, about really what's at stake moving forward. So, Stephanie, give us the big picture here. Um, overall, are people better off under the ACA? Are they worse off? What is what is sort of that 30,000-foot uh, picture look like? Well, I'm not sure that I'm qualified to answer that question. I think it depends on who you speak with. Uh, there are some people who feel like their premiums are too high, especially people over that 400% federal poverty level who are buying insurance on the marketplace and don't qualify for federal subsidies. They feel like their costs are too high. Um, there's a lot more out-of-pocket costs to families. Some of the, the deductibles are as high as $7,000. But then you have people who have pre-existing conditions who now have coverage. You have most people on the individual marketplace can get plans for $100 or less a month. So, you know, it really depends on who you're talking to and what their individual health situation is. In your coverage uh, on the political side of things, um, have you heard any alternatives to the Affordable Care Act, particularly when we're talking about the Senate candidates, Martha McSally and Kirsten Sinema? Yes. Well, you know, we I just mentioned how it depends who you're talking to about whether the ACA is good or bad. I know... Uh, Kirsten Cinema has talked about the fact that, you know, we need to improve the Affordable Care Act, that there are things about the system that are broken that she would like to fix, but she wants to work off of the ACA as a, a working law. Um, and then in terms of what would happen if the ACA was repealed, I have not heard a lot about that. Uh, one thing that, that I think everyone should keep an eye on is the fact that in 2019 there will be no individual mandate that everybody have in, has insurance. And there are people who feel like that's what kept the market stable, um, that if people aren't required to have insurance, it could affect the risk pool. And Trump struck that, that individual mandate down. So, um, so that's something to keep an eye on. And I haven't really heard any alternatives to that. Uh, and, and I haven't heard a lot of plans of, you know, alternatives to the Affordable Care Act either. Well, thank you so much for sharing your deep knowledge on this issue. We really appreciate it. We look forward to your story in the newspaper. Stephanie, thank you. Thank you. So Yvonne, how are the political parties using health care this cycle? So from my vantage point, both of the candidates are really kind of sticking to their key talking points. They're talking very broadly 
about um, what they would do to protect the health care of um, Arizonans. And uh, they seem to be really targeting uh, women, and they seem to be targeting older voters who obviously are high-efficacy voters, and you can count on them to turn out to the polls. But both of them seem to be kind of trying to say the right things and hitting these key points that resonate, but they aren't, as Stephanie mentioned, really getting deep into the nitty-gritty details of how they intend on um, pushing some of these alternatives forward. So if Kirsten Cinema isn't being specific on health care, are you seeing people turn away from her? No, actually, um, I recently spoke to someone who was still backing cinema, obviously the Democratic candidate in the Senate race, on a Sunday afternoon when most people would have been at home making their Sunday dinner. Allison showed up at an event in North Phoenix uh, to a Democratic field office to hear Kirsten Cinema speak. She's a 53-year-old Democrat from North Central Phoenix, and as the crowd was kind of dispersing, she was sitting on the couch. She was wearing a medical boot. And she had a checkbook on her lap. She was getting ready to write one of those checks to help benefit Kirsten Cinema. The crowd chatted behind us as I talked with her. She just talked about her own health care. She was pretty level-headed, very pragmatic, and she just spoke frankly about what was at stake for her in this race. Uh, but for me, really personally, and how it impacts, like, I think all of us, and greater good of us, mm-hmm. is the healthcare. Yeah. And you can she unexpectedly got sick after her um, foot became infected. She ended up having to um, get extensive medical treatment, uh, including a pick line in her chest. And, I mean, these are very expensive, costly procedures that she has had to get done that have changed the way that she has lived over the past several months. And she's thinking about, man, if something like this can devastate me, you know, put me out for months on end, not to mention what those bills look like, what what does the future for me hold after my retirement? And, uh, you know, so it's just kind of scary time. Okay, but I'm interested. So why is someone like Allison willing to financially support Kirsten Cinema, even if she doesn't have a clear idea of what the future is? Well, I think on this issue, like so many others, it comes down to trust. And Democratic voters and several, you know, independent voters that I've talked to over the past couple of weeks seem to trust, you know, Cinema on this issue. Now, neither candidate is being forthright about their concrete plans as to how they would fix the problems with ACA. And while cinema uses evasive language and sometimes accusatory generalizations against McSally, um, you know, McSally seems to be pretty defensive. And I was at an event. You know, in our race, I'm running against somebody who comes from a radical left past. This rally came right uh, as the U.S. Senate was poised to vote on Brett Kavanaugh's nomination to the U.S. uh, Supreme Court. She spoke a little bit about how important it was that Democrats not take control of the Senate, and she tried to give them a sense of what was at stake. And part of her comments touched on health care. She's really upset at the attack ads against her, especially the ones that um, invoke her um, votes uh, related to the age tax. Examples of, you know, campaigns are a little bit like warfare. We have an air war going on, right? You see the messages? 
There's all sorts of crazy stuff. I, they just put out an ad this morning calling me morally bankrupt. Are you kidding me? I raised my right hand and took an oath of office to defend our freedoms and our way of life. You know that they're acting desperate when they're doing that. All right, they're, they're, they're resorting to desperate fear tactics. Lying about, you know, I, you know, I, I support and I voted to protect people with pre-existing conditions. That's a lie. Now they're doing the, you know, throwing granny over the cliff. That's a recycled attack, right? A recycled attack about all Republicans. So one reason I suspect that Martha's on the defensive is because of her vote last year, actually two of them in the House on the Republican-led plans on health care repeal with some promise of replace down the road. These are plans that were scored by the congressional referees to cost people about 20 million Americans would have lost health care coverage. This is something that smacks of just taking away the health care uh, benefits that they've already seen without any concrete plan to replace it with anything that feels uh, attainable or realistic. So while Democrats are on offense, Republicans are on defense, and that's actually re- reflected in the way the ads are being uh, coming in in the campaign. The Wall Street Journal recently reported, for example, the 2018 Democrats have spent more on pro-affordable care act ads than Republicans spent on anti-affordable care act ads. That's certainly against the trend that we've seen in previous cycles. Well, maybe, you know, paying off because uh, both candidates have kind of really dug in um, with these either pro or con ACA ads. I think that essentially backs up our premise, right? This is why Democrats think that this is a winning issue for them, especially in the Senate race this cycle. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. I hope that we've been able to kind of demystify and unravel this really complex issue of healthcare and how it's playing out on the ground politically. If you have any questions or comments, you can find me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. You can find me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. And you can find me on Twitter at Stephanie Innes. Also, you may have noticed that we've been experimenting a little bit with our show. We've created a survey for you to help us create a show that you love and that you want to share. You can find the survey by clicking the notes of this episode. It's only 10 questions and your answers will help us out a lot. Tune in to a new episode of The Gaggle every Wednesday and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley, Taya Francesca Price, and Kayla White. Thanks again. We'll see you next week.